I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you were uh, coming in uh, today. Uh, for the sake of our guest, uh, we have uh, been in a uh, sermon series for about three months now entitled Excelling in Our Love for One Another. And uh, in this series, we're taking a very uh, simple approach. We're basically just walking uh, through the New Testament epistles. And we are looking at all of the one another passages that we find uh, that do instruct us on uh, relating to one another in the body of Christ and especially how to uh, love one another. And uh, right now we find ourselves in the book of uh, Colossians. And the last couple of weeks uh, we looked at uh, one of those magnificent one another passages in, uh, that was in chapter 3 uh, dealing with forgiving one another, and we're going to remain in uh, chapter 3 of Colossians uh, to see one additional uh, one another passage uh, in this uh, wonderful book. So this is lesson 9, the key to loving one another, uh, letting the Word of God uh, take up residence uh, in our lives. And by the way, this is a wonderful, wonderful message, uh, both for new believers and for those of us that have been around a while Uh, to be reminded of the uh, strategic importance of the Word of God in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, But if you have your sermon notes, uh, let's look at our focal passage, which is Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17, which read, uh, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, uh, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Now what I'd like to do before we go any further in this passage is to compare it with another passage. And that's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21 which speaks, of course, of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what we discover is an amazing parallel uh, between these two passages. In the uh, Colossians passage that we just read, we're told, of course, to what? Let the Word of Christ uh, richly dwell within us. Uh, We are then given uh, four results that will be seen in our church family if we truly are letting the Word of Christ uh, richly dwell in us. And uh, you see them there. It says we will teach and admonish one another in psalms, uh, hymns, and spiritual songs. It says we will sing uh, with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Third, it says we will do all things uh, in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father And then if we were uh, to read further in the passage, it would talk about the fact that we are to be subject to one another, that we're to serve one another, and especially as that would relate to our homes, following God's plan and order in our homes. Now, in the Ephesians 5 passage, of course, as I mentioned, we're told to be filled with the Spirit, which we know means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit or to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then it's interesting that after He gives us that command to be filled with the Spirit, we're given four results that will be seen in our church if we truly are being filled with the Spirit. 
And uh, you can turn there if you would uh, like. But it's fascinating that the same four results that Paul mentions concerning the filling of the Holy Spirit are the ones that he mentioned in Colossians 3. It's almost an identical passage, almost verbatim in many ways, except for the one difference. One place, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then being filled with this, and then being filled with the Spirit. But again, the same four results that uh, we'll speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He actually uses that phraseology. He says, we'll sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. He talks about the fact, third, we'll give thanks for all things in the name of Jesus. And then again, we'll be subject to one another following God's plan and order in our homes. And here's the simple point I want to make. It's obvious, therefore, that to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in us and being filled with the Holy Spirit are the same spiritual reality viewed from two sides. Uh, and this is seen even more clearly when you examine the two commands. In Ephesians 5, the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit is in the passive voice in the Greek text. And all that means is that I do not feel myself. It's God that fills me with the Spirit. It's God that gives me empowerment to follow His will. But when you go to the Colossians 3 passage, which is our focal passage for today, the command to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in us, it's in the active voice, which means this is what our responsibility is right here. I can't fill myself with the Holy Spirit. Only God can do that. But God says, Andy, here's your responsibility in the equation. It is to fill your life with my word. You're to read it, memorize it, meditate on it, treasure it, study it, learn it, and do all of that in an attitude of submission and obedience to God. And so as we fill our lives, as we fill our church with God's Word, God says, I will fill you with the Holy Spirit to be transformed into the likeness of Christ and to be empowered to walk as Christ walked, in essence, to make us walking, living epistles of His truth. And it all begins with the very first point that you see there in your sermon notes, and that is God's Word is to be at home in us. God's Word is to be at home in us. Look again at verse 16 of Colossians 3. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. The word dwell literally means to live in or to be at home in. In other words, God's Word, God's truth, is to find a home in our hearts where that truth can take up residence. I love the way the uh, paraphrase, the message, uh, puts this verse. It says, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. And the word richly in the Greek text literally means extravagantly rich. In other words, we are to stockpile the riches of God's word in our hearts. Uh, David, in Psalm 119, verse 11, said, Thy word I have, what? Treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. 
In Psalm 19, verse 10, David also wrote that God's Word is more desirable than gold. Yes, more desirable than much fine gold. And then he wrote in Psalm 119, verse 72, Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Now, that of course raises the question that you see there in your sermon notes. How? In other words, how, in very... uh, Uh, practical terms, do we let the Word of Christ, do we let God's Word be at home in our hearts? And the answer, I believe, is found in another passage, James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 uh, through 25. So please take your Bibles and turn there. We'll go back to uh, Colossians chapter 3, but this is a wonderful passage that again teaches us in very practical terms as believers how to let God's Word be at home uh, in our hearts. And it all begins, you see there that very first point, we are to receive God's Word. That's where the process begins. If God's Word is to be at home in my hearts, i got to get it there. i got to welcome it. i got to receive it. And that is the focus of verses 19 through 21. So let's read those verses together. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. He says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Now get this down in your notes, those uh, next five points. Notice how we are to receive God's Word. First, he says, we're to open our ears. We're to open our ears. He says, everyone must be what? Quick to hear. Not only are we to open our ears, he says, you need to shut your mouth. (laughs) He says, you need to be slow to speak. So i got to open up my ears i got to shut my mouth so I can be listening to God. And then he says we have to calm our spirits. He says we're to be slow to anger. uh, For the uh, anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You cannot come to God's Word with anger in your hearts and, uh, and receive it. You have to calm that spirit. You have to release that to God. So open our ears, shut our mouths, calm our spirits. And then we have to what? Weed. Our hearts. I believe my wife was doing some of that in her uh, garden just yesterday. It says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And then the last thing is, of course, we must surrender our wills. It's not just enough to get in God's Word. It's the attitude in which we approach it. And so we come to God's Word in a submissive attitude with surrender. He says, in humility, receive the Word implanted which is able to save your souls. Now let, now, let me make a very important observation about these five actions that we are responsible to take. The first three, opening our ears, shutting our mouths, and calming our spirits, are all about removing distractions so that we can give God's Word our undivided attention. Weeding our hearts is about what? Removing sin so that we can give God's Word our undying affection. And surrendering our wills 
is about removing all rivals to God so that we can give God's word, God's word our uncompromising allegiance. So out of reference to God, we're to come to His Word to give it our undivided attention, our undying affection, and our uncompromising allegiance. We are to receive God's Word, what, in our minds, to learn God's Word. But notice it does not stop there. We are to receive God's Word with our, what, emotions, to love God's Word. But it does not even stop there. We are to receive God's Word with our wills, to live God's Word. And this brings us right to our next point in your notes about how to make God's Word at home in us. We're not only to receive God's Word, but as we receive it, we have to what? Respond. We have to respond to God's Word, and that is my responsibility in this equation as I come to God's Word, to come to His Word with a submissive attitude, ready to obey it. Not debate it, but obey it, and to uh, follow Him. And uh, the key here is James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And that first point is we're to build our lives on the rock of God's Word. We're to build our lives on the rock of God's Word. If you still have, and I trust you do, your Bible open to James 1. Look at verse 22. But prove yourselves, what's the next word? Doers of the Word, not merely what? Hearers who delude or deceive themselves. But prove yourselves doers. In other words, don't just receive it, respond, be obedient, appropriate it, step out to follow it, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Listen to what Jesus said that's recorded in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. I'll read this for you. Jesus said, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm. Why? Because it is well built. But anyone who hears and does not obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the flood sweeps down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. So I must not only receive God's Word, I must respond to God's Word. And I respond by God's Word to build my life on its rock, on its foundation. But notice the next point that James emphasizes. I'm to change my behavior in the mirror of God's Word. We're to change our behavior in the mirror of God's Word. Uh, look at verses uh, 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And let me give you another uh, cross-reference that gives you the other side of the coin, and that's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. There it says, we behold as in a mirror, referring, referring to the Word of God, we uh, behold as in a mirror the glory 
of the Lord. In other words, we see Jesus in this book. This book is the revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it says, as we behold, as in, in this mirror, the glory of Jesus, it says we are transformed into that same image from glory to glory. How? By the Holy Spirit who empowers us and forms Christ in us to be displayed through us. So what we see here is, as I come to God's Word, I see Jesus, but as I see Jesus, I see what? I fall short of His character, of His attitudes, of His conduct. I see this uh, gap uh, between who Jesus is and where I am. And Christian growth is what? Just beginning to shorten that gap to close it in, to get closer and closer to Jesus, to become more and more like Jesus. And as I come to the mirror of God's Word, and as He points out uh, my faults and my sins, whether that would be in attitude or whether that would be in character conduct, that there would be that submissiveness to bring my life in harmony with God's Word, acknowledging my fault, acknowledging my failure and sin, submitting to God, to know the Holy Spirit empowering me, to change me, to transform me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But then notice, not only am I to build my life on the rock of God's Word, not only am I to change my behavior in the mirror of God's Word, I'm to fill, we're to fill our hearts with the truths of God's Word. We're to fill our hearts with the truths of God's Word. Again, James says in verse 25, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and notice, abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. So we are to fill our hearts with the truths of God's Word. This is something that's always uh, spoken to me. I've shared it at different times from the pulpit. But it's fascinating in the uh, Old Testament. When you look at the word meditate, it talks about meditating on the Word of God. There are actually three different Hebrew words that are all translated meditate in our English Bibles. And when you look at all three words, you get the complete picture of what it means to really meditate on His Word, what it means to really fill your heart with the truths of God's Word. The, the first word meditate is the Hebrew word Haggah, and it literally means a repetitive murmuring. Uh, this is talking about getting in God's Word and just sort of going it over and over, it, uh, memorizing God's Word as you just sort of, this repetitive murmuring, going over and over God's Word, taking it in, learning it. But, of course, it doesn't stop there. The, the, the next word that's translated meditate in the Hebrew uh, Bible is shakak, which means personalizing God's Word. Uh, the Word has the idea of quiet reflection in your mind. In other words, as I get into God's Word, and there's that sort of uh, repetitive murmuring and going over God's Word, I begin to personalize it. I begin to look at it, and how does this relate to my life? Uh, what can I take from this? What do I need to see changed in my life to bring my life in harmony with this truth? But it doesn't stop there. The, the next word for meditate is higiong in the Hebrew text which literally has the idea of applying God's Word. And, it, and it's tied with worshiping God. This is how we worship God. When we take that Word that we have uh, 
reflected on. We've, we've personalized it. We've, we've seen its implications upon our lives. But now we step out to obey, to appropriate it. That's how we worship God. And as we step out in that obedience, that's when God comes with His empowerment to bring change uh, to our lives. So we're to let God's Word be at home in our hearts. How are we to do that? We're to receive God's Word. We're to respond to God's Word. But also there's one more aspect that James talks about, and that is we are to reflect God's Word. We're to reflect God's Word. And the first way we're to do that is by a controlled tongue. (laughs) A controlled tongue. Look at James uh, 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, uh, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. In other words, what James is telling us, the more and more you fill your heart with the Word of God, it will be seen in your speech, in your attitudes. You will reflect God's truth in your speech. We'll say more about that a little bit later in the message. Uh, And then notice the second thing. Not only a controlled tongue, but you reflect God's Word through a caring heart. A caring heart. Look at the first part of verse 27. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And, of course, our service is not just, uh, it's just not exclusively to widows and orphans. That should be a very, very big part of it. But the point he's making is, as God's Word fills your heart and as the Holy Spirit empowers you to become more and more like Jesus, you're going to see that expressed in a caring heart to those who are in distress, to those who are in need. It's not going to be about you. It's going to be about reaching out to others, serving others, and following the example of Jesus. And then also, there's a third way we reflect God's Word, a clean mind, a clean mind, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's very, very obvious, the more I fill my heart and my life with the Word of God, Uh, I bring my thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. I suddenly recognize uh, thoughts that are inappropriate, thoughts that are out uh, in line of God's Word. And I bring that all under subjection uh, to Christ. So we're to let God's Word be at home in our hearts by receiving, responding to, and reflecting God's Word. Now going back to Colossians 3.16, we discover the second truth that emphasizes how all of this will affect our relationships with one another. And this takes us to that one another section in this verse. It says, uh, God's Word is to be shared by us. God's Word is to be at home in us. And as God's Word is at home in us, it's obvious that more and more it will be shared by us with one another. Look at verse 16 again. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, this verse isn't in your notes, but listen to this verse. Matthew 12, verse 34, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So all we're saying is, it's very obvious, the more the Word of God is at home in us, the more we fill our hearts, our lives, our church with the Word of God, that's going to be evidenced through our speech to one another, how we relate to one another, how we talk to one another, our attitudes towards one another. Uh, 
In Colossians 3.16, Paul is saying, we'll begin to share with one another what God is doing in our lives. And not only will we begin sharing with one another what God is doing in our lives, we'll be concerned about what God is doing in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice the two things he mentions. Teaching is imparting to one another God's Word. And admonishing is encouraging one another to walk in God's Word. And, and Paul is saying, this is what will happen as you let God's Word be at home in your heart. You're going to find yourself teaching one another in God's Word, sharing God's Word. You're going to find yourself in admonishing one another, encouraging one another to walk in God's Word. And the goal of all of it is spiritual growth. That's the goal. It's spiritual growth. In other words, very simple. It's not complicated. Paul is saying those will be the marks of a church that are letting God's Word be at home in their hearts, teaching, admonishing, that will result in spiritual growth. You know, you, you see this emphasis uh, throughout the book of Colossians. Let me just give you a, a couple of places earlier in the book. Uh, Paul prays a beautiful prayer in uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 12, that emphasizes this matter of spiritual growth and how God's Word relates to that. Uh, this is a, word, a prayer that's very, very special to me. Uh, this is the prayer that I've prayed for every one of my children. Uh, the moment I knew Kathy had conceived them, I began praying this prayer for each of my children uh, in the womb. And to this very day, I pray this prayer for them. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The more accurate translation of that phrase would be that you would be fill, filled with the knowledge of what God has already willed for your life. What's he referring to? The Word of God. He's praying that they will be filled with God's truth. This is God's will for our lives. Now, what is the purpose of all that? That you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the obtaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So going back to Colossians 3.16, what Paul is saying is, the way you can tell if a person or a church is really letting the Word of God be at home in their hearts is that, number one, you're going to see them filled with a knowledge of what God has willed for their lives. They will develop an understanding of God's will. And that understanding will give them a wisdom, an ability to look at life from God's perspective and to respond appropriately, so that we do walk, what? In a manner that is worthy of our Lord, so that we do please Him in every aspect of our lives, bearing fruit in every good work, and continually, what? Increasing in our knowledge of Him in order to make Him known to others, and we'll notice, we'll realize in the inner man a strengthening that produces a steadfastness, that produces a, a perseverance to run the course that God has laid out for us. To remain faithful to Jesus every step of that race. To remain faithful all the way across the finish line. And as we're running that race, again, whether we hit the good times or the bad times, as we sang earlier, we will give thanks to God in all things. 
with joy, knowing he's ultimately blending all of those things and causing them to work for our good and his greater glory to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And then Paul sums it all beautifully up in verse 28 of Colossians 1. He says, and we proclaim him. Who's him? Jesus. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man. Those are the two words again, teaching and admonishing with all wisdom that why? That we may present every man complete in Christ. The Word of God is what brings growth. As we approach it in that submissive spirit, giving the Holy Spirit freedom to take it, and transform us into the likeness of Christ. Now going to the third point in your notes, when God's Word is at home in us, not only will it affect the way we share with one another, it will affect our praise and worship. The third point is God's Word is to be sung through us. Notice he says, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love the simple way David put it in Psalm 119, verse 54. He said, thy statutes, your word, they are my song. I love that. Thy statutes are my songs. So do not miss the inseparable relationship between the word of God and worship. When he says psalms, he's referring to the Old Testament psalms, as well as Christian songs written for accompaniment with music, which focus on glorifying and magnifying the nature and the works of God. But folks, where do we learn about the nature and the works of God? The Word of God. It's God's Word that informs us. It's God's Word that instructs us. So as we get in God's Word, as we learn of His nature, as we learn of His works, as we receive this Word, as we respond to this Word, what begins to happen? There's a stirring in our hearts. There, 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 praise begins to swell up. Worship. And, and we find ourselves needing to express that. And one of the primary ways we express that praise and worship is through music. It's through, it's through song. When he mentions hymns, hymns are songs of praise. Used primarily to teach believers about the redemptive work of Christ. For example, many church scholars... Believe Colossians 1, for example, 15 through 18, and Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11, both passages that focus on the person and work of Christ. Many uh, uh, scholars believe these were actually hymns that were sung by the early church. Well, again, we go back. Where do we learn about the redemptive work of Christ? Where do we discover who Jesus is? Where do we discover what Christ accomplished for us? Through the Word of God. And so as I get in the Word, as I let it be at home in my heart, as I begin sharing it, again, I find I have to express my worship to God. There's an adoration, there's an appreciation that must be expressed because of what He's done in my life. Spiritual songs, those are songs of personal testimony, praising God for His work of grace in the life of a believer. And, and what are testimonies the result of? The testimonies are the result of what? Obeying God's Word. As we step out in obedience and as we trust Him in life's circumstances and adversities and trials, God steps in and He does a work in our lives. And we want to praise Him uh, for that. Uh, and also notice that 
if you're truly filling your heart with the Word of God, you will have a heart of worship. And I'm talking about something that's felt. And I'm not afraid to use that word. Now, we don't begin there. We begin with the Word of God that instructs our mind. But it has to get more to, than to our minds, to our emotions, to our wills. permeates our entire being. Jesus, Jesus said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. And then don't miss the next phrase he says. He says, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. And then he says, in worship. He says, in vain. In vain do they worship me. How do you worship God in vain? When there's no affection. When there's no feeling. When there's no passion to your worship. I don't know how anyone can reflect on who Jesus is, what he has done for us. That wonderful grace, that reckless love we talk. How can you focus on that? How can you know that embracing you, apprehending you, and not being moved in your heart, stirred with passion to worship Him and to give your affections? And then notice the little note that I just put down there. Although we may not can be absolutely dogmatic on the definition of the musical terms in Colossians 3.16, I'm referring to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I gave you my understanding how I would define those three terms. And I think most scholars would say we can't be just totally dogmatic on what's being applied. But it is obvious. Here's the obvious point. The verse speaks of of blending diverse musical forms. In order to worship God, teach God's truth, and admonish a life honoring to God. That's very clearly being said, that there are are diverse musical forms. And it's very appropriate to blend those things in order to worship God, teach His truth, and admonish a life honoring to God. Then you'll notice in your notes, and I'm going to spend very, very little time on it, how to evaluate music. I thought I would just put this here because I didn't know any other time I'd have the opportunity to do this. This is something that I came to years and years and years ago in my life. And it doesn't relate just to music, but really any work of, uh, of art in any realm. And when I come to music, when I come to any work of art, anything that a person creates, it has become second nature to me to evaluate that piece of art, that, 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 that music, whether that's painting or whether it's a, a TV show or a movie, whatever it might be, to evaluate it in light of this. And look at it very, very quickly. We will spend very little time. You have to recognize, first, the artist is fallen. And this is whether he's saved or he's lost. I mean, we're fallen. Therefore, you have to discern the world view. In other words, what is being communicated through this piece of art? What's being communicated through this song? What is the world view? Is it one that's in harmony with God's truth? Or is it something that's out of harmony, out of line with God's truth? Is it true or false? And then notice the artist, he creates. He creates because we're created in the image of God. That's a beautiful thing that he's given the human race. And, and as he creates, that is a gift. But that gift can be what? It can be used in a good way or it can be used in a bad way. Therefore, we have to discern the creative ability of the artist. Does it possess technical excellence? And is the style suited to the message? 
See, to me, the way this affects in the Christian realm, Christian worship songs, in, in, in my mind, is, and I'll be very honest with you, I've shared this before in this pulpit, I don't think you can say that there is an evil style of music over against good styles. It's, it's how you use those styles. But it's very, very obvious, very, very obvious that Christianity is all about communicating truth. Therefore, I want to make sure I use a style that's an appropriate vehicle to communicate that truth. In other words, if the style overwhelms the communication of truth, why would I want to use that style if it overshadows communicating truth? So again, I think it's, 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 it's not so much good evil, it's being very wise in your use of the tools that are at your disposal in communicating Christian truth. And then therefore, since the artist has fallen, the music can be what? That last column can be good or evil. Therefore, discern the message. Is it, is it profitable or destructive? So I, I've just used this tool. And by the way, notice... A lost man can create something of great beauty because lost people are created in the image of God. They have notions of morality. A lost person can create something that's in harmony with God's worldview that we can appreciate. I think we do a great disservice as, as believers when we just erase or eradicate anything and everything lost people create. We have to recognize those individuals are created in the image of God. They, they got that creative ability they have is given them by God, and they can create something of beauty. Yes, they can create something that, uh, that is destructive, and we have to recognize that, and we have to turn from that in our own lives, and then also recognize a saved person can also create something that's not in harmony with a biblical worldview. That can be destructive. So uh, it's just a tool that I've used. Hopefully it'll be helpful to you. And uh, if you have any further questions about that, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. And then look at the fourth, last point as we close. God's Word is to be lived by us. It's to be lived by us. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So... What have we learned today? That God's Word is to be at home in us. As it is at home in us, it will be shared by us. That's the focus of the one another passage. We will teach, admonish one another in the Word of God. The result will be spiritual growth in the church body. We'll also see it impacting our worship with one another, our praise, as uh, we have to express our adoration and appreciation to God. And then, of course, we'll find ourselves living uh, God's Word in our service to others. Father, thank you for the uh, uh, practicality of your truth today. And Father, I pray that you would uh, be that power in us, uh, motivating us to be people of your word, that here at Edgewood, uh, that your word uh, would find uh, a place where it could be at home, where it could have its way in and through us, and that as you change us, that would be reflected in how we relate to one another. That we truly would teach, admonish one another. There would be an atmosphere of spiritual growth that would be developed. But also a wonderful atmosphere of worship. Uh, where we express our praise and our thanksgiving. And uh, our lips are freed by our hearts uh, to sing. 
and to worship and to honor and to adore you. And, of course, that we would live that word. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. As the invitation is extended today, uh, I trust there's been some point in this message God has spoken to you. And as I've often shared with you, I know in a message you can be overwhelmed with so much truth. And, I, and I've told you before, spiritual growth comes by taking little baby steps, right? One step at a time. So what you need to do, where did God uniquely speak to you today as a believer concerning your relationship to God's Word and how you relate to others in the body of Christ concerning God's Word? And uh, what can you take from this message and begin to apply, begin to appropriate? So don't be overwhelmed by the entirety of the message. Just focus on that one area that God uniquely spoke to you and, uh, and, and make it real in your life. Apply it in your life. Uh, if you're here and uh, God is leading you to become a part of this church family, I would invite you as the invitation is extended to make your way down, down the aisle and express that desire so that we can... Uh, receive you and help you begin that full process to a membership and give our people an opportunity to get to know you, get to love you, begin to express their appreciation uh, for you. Uh, last week we had young Maurice came down making his profession of faith uh, and uh, there may be someone here today who recently has come to know Jesus and or today God has spoken to you uh, through the worship and through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And uh, you desire to ask Him in to forgive you of your sins and take control of your life. And we'd be glad to talk to you more about that and minister to you. So you feel free to come as well. So please stand as the invitation is extended. And I trust we'll all be responding to the preached God, uh, Word of God. And, uh, and I'll be here to greet anyone that has a decision of any public nature. <laughs>